folks, and welcome to Jersey Night, your independent Rangers podcast, YouTube channel, and all-round social media empire. By Rangers fans, for Rangers fans, for all your contents, absolutely free. Coming to you in association with Forest Precision Engineering. My name is Alec Anderson, and I'm speaking to you on the evening of Friday, the 25th of November, 2022. About half an hour or so since Ener Valencia equalised against the Netherlands uh, for Ecuador to go out front in the Golden Boot race and also to put Qatar, the hosts, out the tournament about five days after they started it. Um, it's the hosts, I think, have been getting worse, you know, uh, at every tournament uh, since Uruguay 1930 hosted it and won it, and then Italy 34 hosted it and won it. We had France and Switzerland going out at the quarter-final stage. We've also had the uh, USA going out in the last 16, right down to South Africa in 2010, where the first nation never to get out of the uh, opening group stage. But they scored a few points, they, they scored a few goals. Qatar, with one goal and zero points, are out of the World Cup as officially the worst hosts ever until I started trying to host this podcast. Um, but I think we already knew Qatar were the worst hosts ever because of the massive human rights abuses that have been going on in their country um, since basically Britain uh, gave them their independence in 1971, but more to the point, since uh, they were awarded this World Cup and migrant workers have been dying in their thousands uh, in Qatar, building the stadiums and the infrastructure. So we understand, folks, this is a this is a special. Um, we understand that people don't really want to talk about this World Cup, um, but if it becomes a regular thing, Brian and myself will be quite happy to do a few pods over the course of the rest of the tournament um, with Rangers not playing. Um, there's, there's kind of it's an excuse for football chat if you like um, but we're also going to look really closely uh, at the human rights side of things so if you like this kind of pod let us know um, get, we want, we'll try to get our subscriptions up to 6,000 uh, before Christmas tell all your pals about it give us a few likes if you don't like it uh, we're sorry to apology don't like us and uh, we'll see you in the new year um, okay, let's not go on long enough. My first, uh, the first point of order is to introduce my guest, uh, another man who loves his international football about myself, uh, Mr. Brian Archer. Brian, how are you doing, sir? Please, can you take this off? <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, mate? How's things? Interesting fact about Uruguay in 1930. Um, I'm doing very well. I'm looking forward to the chat. Um, I'm enjoying the international football. Whether or not I should be is another question, which I'm sure we'll get onto. Yeah. Um, but like most people that are watching it, I just can't turn it off. That's it, I know. And uh, how are you finding, try to watch, have you, I, I'm another person who kind of, you know, air quotes, uh, works from home, um, and it's like four games a day uh, just now. I'm actually finding it pretty hard to, you know, find time to go to the toilet and make my meals, and, you know, it's it's, it's getting pretty messy in there. Hope yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can totally understand where you're coming from. It's just total football overload just now. Um, I'm kind of dipping in and out some of the ones that maybe don't look as appealing, but I've kind of got it on in the background most of the day, so I'm kind of keeping an eye on it, and um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to the kind of uh, bigger games in the second, certainly the second round of games, I think they'll be more, um, kind of more interesting, more at stake. It starts hotting up then, doesn't start, it? Yeah, it starts to hot up, exactly. It, start, it starts like people get to stage where they can get eliminated or where they can yeah. confirm they're going through. Um, and chiefly, we'll be, you know, yourself and I, we'll be looking at the, the first round of games um, uh, mostly. But I think I, I wouldn't be the same. It's, it is Jersnet. Um, we do exactly what it says in the tin. Let's talk about nets, hair nets, and fishing nets, and what have you. But um, we're also, we better talk about the Rangers. We've got a situation vacant in uh, G51. Were you sorry to see Gio go? Were you surprised the way it happened? 
Um, I was I was surprised they kind of left it as long as he did in terms of after the last game. Um, I thought if he was going to go away with the win within the first couple of days, when that didn't happen and then the Sky Sports interview came out, I thought that signalled, right, he's definitely staying, they're not going to get rid of him after that. So I was shocked um, when the news broke, um, on the, I think it was the Tuesday morning, um, I was totally taken by surprise, to be honest. In terms of was it was the right decision, it probably was the right decision overall. I'm sad to see him go because, um, I'll freely admit this, he gave me the best night of my Rangers support in life against Leipzig, being in that stadium at Ibrox, that's something that will live with me for the rest of my life. Um, so I'll always thank him for that, and as far as I'm concerned, they should always be welcome back at Ibrox for that. But on the balance of play, in terms of how he'd performed domestically, you've got to say it was the right decision. I, think I was talking to Colin uh, outside Ibrox with a wee pod the other night, um, just kind of reviewing it, and it was we were we were saying pretty much the same thing. It's I, I think the, the the only thing that kind of pushed me finally towards saying ah, it's definitely time for him to go was that he looked like he wanted to go, and that the, the post match interviews after the the St Mirren game that, that doesn't mean anything. I might have been reading too much into that, but ah, it's 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 weird when a, a guy that got us a European final and then gets us into the Champions League. You know, it's just the way things have been going at Rangers. It's two step. <laughs> two steps back after one step forward, you know, we just seem to, every time we achieve a kind of, you know, a great forward leap, we're immediately slapped in the face and that, like, the Champions League group stage this season almost made us sorry that we'd get into the, you know, the, the Champions League, eh, despite it being a, a, a long-held ambition, but, aye, it's, it's it's a really strange one. What do you think, Michael Beal? Um, he seems to be the front runner. I have to say to people, at the time we're recording this, it's, it's uh, Friday night, I say, by the time they see this, um, it might not be, it might be Sunday before this pod goes out, um, they might have a manager. We might have a manager picked and in place by then. But Michael Beale seems to be the front runner. Are you, are you happy with that? Um, I mean, I don't really know. I'm honest, I'm, the word I would use is I'm intrigued by it. I'm not really sure what to expect. I don't want to do the obvious thing and just assume that it's going to be a carbon copy of the Gerard style. I think Beale's his own man, so I think he'll have his own ideas and his own way of doing things that might be slightly different from Gerard. So I'm intrigued about how he's going to set the team up. I've, I've got to be honest. I've not watched any of his QPR team, so I can't really speak to what he's been doing there. I know he's he's been getting some praise, certainly obviously Will's offered on the job. Um so he obviously did some good things there um for them to come looking. Um so yeah I'm just I'm interested. I'm I'm really just I'm kinda impatient when it comes to manager appointments. It was the same when when we were appointing Geo and everybody knew it was Geo and we were looking we were watching the flight on flight tracker and coming over from Holland. I'm kinda I'm totally impatient when it comes to this sort of thing. I just want, I just want the the press conference. I just want to be watching Michael Beale sitting in the blue room giving his first interview. That's that's what I want now. I would have had so that it, be, it becomes a transport thing, doesn't it? Because remember when Gerard, the first inklings we had that Gerard was leaving, we were all analysing that photograph of him in the train station in London, yeah. Yeah, and we're all looking at you know, there was posters in the background of like uh, West End plays that were on, and we're, people were trying to work out. When did that run? Does that was that play on last December? Or is that a recent photograph? It was pathetic. And then, as you say, it was Geo. Uh, we're looking for his car. We're looking for his flights. And now we're doing the same way. Uh, we build. There's probably somebody outside Loftus Road right now <laughs> with a camera, hoping to spot him getting in and uh, send us off photographs so we can watch his car arriving at Auckland <laughs> Highway. You know. I seen QPR had posted pictures of training. I think it was yesterday, and everybody was saying, oh, is he still taking training today? That must mean that the deal's not quite as far along as we thought. But then there's people saying, oh, no, that was from the day before. So it's kind of just doing that whole thing it, again. We're all just, thing. We're all just desperate again. for news. That's the kind of whole 24-hour news cycle. We're all just desperate for, for That's news. that, mate. We'll know, we'll know what we know. And I think that's the thing, um, um, speaking for maybe the both of us, when it comes to doing this kind of pod, um, 
even with something as massive as the Rangers management, the Rangers manager's job being vacant, um, we're wondering who's going to get the position. If Rangers aren't actually playing, it's like there's nothing to talk about. You know, it, it does, the chat doesn't get going until um, we've actually got football to talk about. And it would seem, I think, like we're missing um, as open a goal as Diana Ross did in the opening ceremony of USA 94. If we didn't give what kind of 6,000 uh, subscribers a bit of football chat when the the, what is supposedly the greatest football show on earth, uh, the, the four-yearly fiesta of football that is the World Cup, is, is going on uh, right under our noses um, on the television and in Qatar. Uh, it's a strange one though, isn't it, Brian? It's 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 just, I've never, I don't think it's just because of the time of year, because it's been moved to, to, to winter for the first time ever, a World Cup. This is my, the 12th World Cup I can remember, just showing my age. Um, and it's, uh, the, the, the whole situation surrounding it, it's obviously... Pretty, pretty, pretty kind of accepted truth that it was bribes, basically, um, that that got Qatar the the World Cup. For example, they've got eight stadiums hosting this tournament, but it was like twenty uh, uh, Korea and Japan for the same amount of teams. You know, it's uh, half the country's desert. It's barely, barely more than half the size of Wales. Um, it just all seems to have been kind of bought this World Cup, and like there's a half of the twenty-two man FIFA executive committee who awarded. Um, the World Cup to Qatar and to Russia in 2018, and we all know how well uh, Russia have gone down with the human rights campaigners uh, before and after that one. Um, it just it, it seems there's just not been the same build up. There's not been the same appetite. But I, I just know it always gets. There's, there's been a bit of that with the last three World Cups as well. South Africa, you know, um, Brazil and uh, Russia. You know, a lot of kind of almost conscience-washing programmes going out on the mainstream channel. So they're going to um, present the, the football saying, you know, this is why you shouldn't watch this World Cup or, or this is what's, this is the problems going on in society. But this seems to be the worst one ever. And I've always been aware that once it starts, once the football starts, people get sucked in. But uh, I think this is I think this is on a different level. Um, and before people start switching off because we're talking about gloomy stuff, I think that... To give an idea of why we still can't help doing a World Cup pod, um, I'd have to ask, I'd try and ask you a few wee questions just to kind of suss out your enthusiasm um, for the World Cup itself. So, what is the what's what's the kind of the first World Cup you remember? What's the first finals you remember? Just depress me. So I'm going to show my age in a different way here. So I remember bits of previous World Cups. The first World Cup that I properly absorbed every minute of was the the one in 2010 in South Africa. Um, right. I was I was just leaving high school. They had the TV screens on in the school, so all the games were on. I remember coming home and just sitting in front of the TV. You know, I didn't have any exams. I think all the exams and stuff were finished, so you know, I didn't have a job, no responsibilities, nothing like that. I was able to just sit and absorb every minute of every game, and that's the kind of first World Cup that I properly remember absorbing every minute of. And I always associate with that World Cup. I don't know if you remember. It was the first time I remember I embroidered like, a special can that was like a bigger can. And I remember buying like packs of them and just sitting in front of the TV, drinking my big cans of Iron Brew, watching the, every game of that World Cup. And it's always what I associate that World Cup with, is those big cans of Iron Brilliant. Brew. Brilliant. Absolutely magic. I don't even remember that, you know. That's, that, but that's actually, that's 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 what's happened to me. Um, ah, you've totally embarrassed me. The first World Cup I remember is 1978. <laughs> that's the first World Cup I remember. I was going to eight coming on nine. And I remember sitting watching that and genuinely thinking... Uh, that Scotland had a chance of winning the thing, but it was in good company because like, every adult in Scotland thought we we're going to thought we we're going to win it as well. Um, so that was a real kind of lesson in life uh, when it came to Scottish football. And it's weird, you know, that 78, 
82, kind of 86, 90, like, uh, into my 20s, I, really, I remember World Cups in great detail. But it's subsequently, one since then, they go to kind of start merging into one and, and what have you. Now, I don't remember the, the details in exactly the same way, but I just know that I'll get absolutely absorbed by them. And even when it moved up to 32 teams, um, I think it was 1998, I, I, I can't remember which one it was. It might have been 2002. I did that thing where I thought, I'm going to watch every game I possibly can. And because the last four group games are all played at the same time, the, the last group games and other groups are uh, eight group, you can only watch 56 games maximum. And uh, I remember doing that, watching all of them, and I don't even remember what World Cup it was. You know, but it was uh, it was absolutely nuts. Um, I've not been able to manage that. I'm already kind of losing the plot with this one. But the, first, uh, the first World Cup I remember was uh, 78, and um, uh, that was that was that was a proper lesson in life. And of course, 82, the great Brazil team of 82, who everybody my age. Um, Got them totally excited and then they uh, broke their hearts first by gubbing Scotland and then by getting put out by by Italy, you know, and a wee, another wee life lesson that was about football. But um, I'm going to have to say, but just a kind of a, a basic blatant question six and a half thousand to ten thousand, you know, workers, migrant workers have died, um, and as I say, and getting the infrastructure ready for this World Cup. Do you think this World Cup should have gone ahead at all or should it have gone ahead somewhere else? I think it should have gone ahead somewhere else. I think we all know the circumstances surrounding the awarding of this this World Cup. Um, I think you know a lot of our viewers might have seen the documentary on Netflix that goes into quite a lot of detail um, on it. I think we're all aware of that. I think you know we know kind of what's going on there. We know what's you know the loss of life that's occurred trying to prepare this World Cup and prepare these stadiums. Um, that you know it was definitely wrong to award it. To Qatar, um, so in short, I think it should have. I'm okay with going ahead, but not. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be awarded to Qatar. Um, there's no. plenty of other nations more, more ready to host the World Cup, um, and it wouldn't have cost that. You know that sheer number of, of lives to be lost, which when you actually see it printed on a bit of paper is just, you know, staggering. Right. To be honest, I should. I should say, um, like. I'm kind of quoting figures that have been uh, assessed by like, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International and uh, Equidem.org. And I would, rec I would recommend anybody to get on Equidem.org's page. What I'm doing to kind of solve my conscience is I'm giving them a pound. They've got a donate page in, in, the, in their homepage, a donate um, button. I'll be giving them a pound uh, for every game that I watch, you know, um, in this World Cup or, or £30, whatever, whatever's more. Um, if everybody did that, maybe, you know, we could actually pay, get the workers paid because they're, they, they're looking after the... Uh, the kind of compensation package that the the families uh, and the workers uh, have been seeking and, and they deserve because I think the really horrible thing about this is I think it's six and a half thousand is confirmed by countries like Nepal, India, Sri Lanka where the workers are coming from that actually th these countries take a record um, of people who die from their country outside outside, the, outside their borders but, but there's, they think there's thousands more that have come from the likes of Somalia or Kenya and there's no, there's no records of them being there um, it's not all just building the stadiums, it's, as I say, it's getting the infrastructure ready uh, as well. And these guys are working like 12 hour shifts and what have you. I'm, this is the problem. I'm straight away, I'm asking you, how you how are you handling it, watching four games a day? You know, um, and I'm thinking that this is an inconvenience to me, but yet you're watching a games in a stadium where guys had to work 12 hour shifts in the searing heat. Of a desert summer, you know, it was they didn't they didn't get moved to winter for for doing their work. It was they had to do it in the summertime. Uh, they're living three-hour return journeys to to get there. They're living in kind of rat 
a cockroach infested kind of concentration camp style digs. And uh, a lot of them, they couldn't get to kind of dodge their work the way I can because their, their gaffers had their passports, you know, and they'd had to pay people just to get these jobs in the first place, like recruitment agencies or more like middlemen. So they were having to work to, to give them the money. The wages were terrible. And um, of the 6,500 confirmed deaths since this World Cup was awarded to Qatar 12 years ago, uh, the Qatari authorities have said all but 37 of them were down to natural causes. This is men of a working age, you know, so it's and that way not to pay any compensation. Sometimes they're not even paying out the rest of the wages that were due to their to their families. It's 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 an absolute nightmare. Um and that's why it really does give us serious pause uh, when we're watching this tournament. Um I I, I don't know, but is, is there a way that actually having the World Cup in Qatar is somehow bringing you know, attention to Qatar and to the and to the human rights issues there and it actually there's a way you can say it's a good thing. That Qatar is actually hosting this. Um, I don't know if I could say it's a good thing. I think you're right that it's bringing attention to it. I certainly wouldn't be as aware of the human rights abuses in Qatar as I am now, had it not been for the fact that the World Cup's um, going to be there. So I think it is shining a spotlight on it. Now, whether you think that's kind of that kind of rights the fact that the World Cup's there, personally, I don't. I think. You know, from my opinion, what I would have liked to have seen is when it was awarded, I would have liked to have seen the top 10 nations take a stand and say, we're not competing. If, you know, people keep saying they want real change at FIFA, if you want real change, it takes big action. And for me, that needs to be the people in power, the top 10 nations, if they had all collectively got together and said, we're not competing in this, you know, then that would have forced FIFA's hand. And I think then that could have been the vehicle for real change. Um, but the fact that that's not happened, the fact that we've kind of, as a society, we're all aware of these human rights abuses and we're kind of just, you know, the powers that be are sort of letting it happen. For me, that, you know, that doesn't sit right. Um, the time to take a stand was 12 years ago when it was awarded. You know, I appreciate all the media attention that's on it now is a good thing because it's shining a spotlight on it. But the time to take a stand on this was, was 12 years ago. And I think the people that should have taken a stand for me, should have been the top 10 nations. If they'd have all taken that collective stand and said, we're not competing in this, we don't agree with it, then, you know, that would have been your vehicle for change at FIFA. Yeah, um, but that's not what's that... happened, and I think they've kind of missed the boat on that. Aye, and I, I think it's, I mean, because the, the way things have been happening in British politics, we, we, Prime Minister's kind of changing when people, there's been enough of an outcry, I think, the last uh, two or three Prime Ministers will actually kind of get rid of them. Um, not get rid of the party that's in, in government, but uh, there's been such an outcry for their policies that it's actually affected change in government. And I think part of me was just deluding myself that the whole world was so up in arms about this, or seemed to be, especially the football community, just seemed to be saying, no, it shouldn't be. It's, it, and as, as news was coming out, you know, how many people were dying building these stadiums, I thought, it's going to get moved. It has to, you know, and it hasn't happened. Because I went to three, I went to, with three Scotland games in the qualifying group, and I actually find myself thinking, am I part of the problem here? You know, I'm, you know, obviously I'm just doing my usual thing of falling, you know, I'm not a mad Scotland, you know, mad kind of keen Scotland supporter, I'm not the, the, the Tartan Army kind of kilt wearing thing, but I'm, you know, very much a Scotland supporter. Um, I like to support my local national team, so to speak, but it's, I think, are you part of the problem, Alec? Because you've went along there, it's a FIFA World Cup, even if it's just a qualifying, you'd go into these games and you're kind of proving that, you know, FIFA can just carry on. You know, it's it's it's, it's a real weird one. And, and talking about uh, taking a stand, obviously, I think that the, the the big controversy, the big story this week was the the One Love armbands. Um, 
being worn or not being worn as the case was. I think on Monday morning, I think this was, this was really kind of sneaky for me. Uh, we thought that, that at least that there's going to be representation for the LGBTQ plus community um, through the captains of England, Wales, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Germany, um, a couple of other countries. I think um, I can't quite remember. Denmark, well, Denmark. That's it. And then it was like on the morning uh, of the second day of the World Cup, just before the games were, were kind of due to start kicking off, there was this announcement that there was a, a, a dial back on it. And it was the respect armbands that were being worn instead, which was a compromise. Because FIFA weren't actually going to, they, they were planning to bring in the respect armbands later on. So it was almost as if they were saying, okay, we don't really want to talk about human rights at all. We're talking about having respect for other people. You know, far less just you know what their sexual orientation is, just in any respect at all. But we'll let you have that if you just kind of that. And I just thought, you know, I don't want to do the whole some of my, some of my best friends are gay kind of thing, you know. But I do obviously have pals um, who are in that community, um, and you don't get a bit thinking about them. You just think that's that's your pal, that's just that person, you know. Because it, it, so the whole thing for me is kind of preposterous. But one thing, one bigotry that's very alive even in Britain in respect to this is people just saying, oh, we don't mind, you know, you doing what you want to do in the privacy of your own, but just, just kind of calm it down a bit. Don't, don't rub our feet. And that's what this sounded like to me. We don't want to see rainbow armbands. We just want to see kind of dialed down. What, what, what was your take on the whole thing, mate? I mean, I think personally, the, the respective FAs that kind of backed down on wearing it, I think they should have went ahead. I think... They were quite happy to wear it if they were going to be financial penalties, but as soon as FIFA started kind of hinting that there might be sporting penalties, i.e. yellow cards for the captains, then that was kind of when they decided not to wear it. I think they should have pressed on and wore it. I'd, I'd, you know, if I think it was five or seven nations that said they were going to wear it, if all of them had worn it, do you really think the referees would have booked them all? I don't, I don't think so. And even if they had, that would have been a bigger story anyway, so they should have just worn it and it would have... It would have kind of brought a bigger spotlight on it. Um, so I think I think they should have pressed on. I think um, they kind of made a bit of a, I know Germany did a bit of a kind of protest with their team photo. Um, but yeah. I think they should have just pressed on and worn it and kind of you know, um, yeah. I think I think they should have worn it. Basically, that's that's Aye. that's my stance on it. I think they were they were wrong to kind of back down on it and kind of um, when FIFA started talking about sporting sanctions. I don't know how you feel about um, the, the pundits. That's always a thing. Any, any World Cup, you're always kind of looking at all the pundits. You start getting to know them uh, a bit better and what have you. And Roy Keane, I feel, was always kind of like, um, maybe a bit biased because he, he ended up playing for Celtic because the guy I used to like until, of course, he went to the, the, the wrong team in Glasgow. But I always feel he's a bit plastic. He's a bit kind of, he's, like, he's permanently angry, you know, for the cameras almost. You know, that's that's how he gets his, his payday. Um, just going to be angry about stuff, Roy. People like that. But I felt as if um, I was worried what way he was going to go um, when it came to this, because I don't, I don't know if you remember Keane, I think it's when he was uh, assistant manager, O'Neill, you know, for the Republic Ireland national team, and he was getting asked about a, a player whose wife was just about to give birth. You know, do you think he's going to get, and he was like, what, is he pregnant? You know, no, well, what's, is he going to give birth? No. And you think, is he a bit old school? Is he going to be like, I don't want to know uh, about that kind of thing? But he was, he seemed to be genuinely raging um, the fact that the players hadn't done this. They hadn't just taken the booking. Um, and I think I think back uh, the last World Cup where Jadon Shakiri and uh, Granit Xhaka you know of, of kind of Kosovar extraction playing for Switzerland scored against Serbia 
you know, and of course Kosovo is a massive thing for the Serbians. They they don't recognise it. They think it's part of the, it's part of their heritage, part of their history. And there's a massive hatred there for the for the Albanians, um, the, the Albanian Kosovans uh, in Serbia, and they made the sign of the the eagle with their hands when they scored yeah. their goal towards the, and they're both fined like ten thousand francs each. Yeah, and you're saying, but you can't with an armband that says everybody's equal and let's just be nice to folk. You know, it seems absolutely preposterous. Yep, I mean, they went even further than that and that I think it was Belgium that had the word love on the inside of their collar of their top and FIFA asked them to remove it. Now, that doesn't signify anything. That's just a word, love, and they were told yeah. to remove it. And it's like, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's kind of depressing to be honest some of this when you talk about it. And then I seen... I think Eden Hazard was asked about Germany's protest and he said, oh, well, they should have won the game. And then he said, oh, I'm not here to make political statements. And you're thinking, how is calling for, you know, equal human rights? When does that become a political statement? Why is that all of a sudden a political statement? Why is it not just the right thing to do? I'm going to, I'm going to persist with this, this, this one because... When I heard that um, Giovanni Van Bronckhurst had let, via, via, it was uh, Frankie, the boss, uh, it was via his Twitter page. I was just going through my phone. I was sitting Monday morning, just we having a wee cup of tea in front of the telly, watching a bit of Sky Sports News. Um, and there was nothing about Giovanni Van Bronckhurst leaving Rangers, but I saw Frankie tweeting it. And it was a Chris Jack article he'd seen. as oh, we've lost my manager. But I couldn't have cared less because it was at that point, um, this announcement had just been made that the teams were dialing back. They weren't going to wear the, the armbands. They were kind of giving into FIFA, if you like. Um, and I think that means basically giving into Qatar, um, yeah. who are obviously running this. And did Carol Fern, who's the uh, chairman of the uh, the Gay Gunners, um, the Arsenal supporter, and that man is his dignity and his grace. The, the the way he he was obviously absolutely seething, you know, for it's a, a, a massive a massive slap in the face for him. Um, but he then proceeded to just to say he would say well, the players shouldn't feel pressure. Um, the players, it's not their fault. They're caught in the middle of it. I don't want them to have to worry about getting a booking because I'm a football fan. And he was even then having a wee joke because it's Harry Kane and he's a he's a an Arsenal fan, the fella. And Harry Kane, obviously a Spurs striker, um, and it, it nearly had me in tears. The, the guy was so you could tell it was just it was killing him inside, but he was refusing to kind of um, lose the rag about it. He made his point beautifully, and then as the the game kicks off, England against Iran, you know, a few hours later. The Iranian players not singing their national anthem, you know, right next to the England players. These people are actually risking their lives yeah. because what's going on in Iran just now, you know. And I thought these guys don't want to cop a booking. I don't think it is. It's maybe no particularly fair on on the players. Don't have to think about anything other than football. But I think a lot of the players that are there just now, especially I think the German team, I think it might have even affected them. They don't. They're not sure about it. They really. Yeah. They're not sure if they, if they want to be there or not. Um, and I think it would have been a good way just to, you know, kind of get in about it, just to say, right, look, this is, this is, this is, make, it, make a stand against Qatar's um, kind of policies. But I think when the Iranian players are standing there, they're not singing the national anthem and they're being filmed. The cameras pan these players' faces. They might not all play in Iran, but their families stay in Iran yeah. uh, under that regime. And the camera then pans the crowd. And there was a woman with the headscarf. You know, and that's what the protests in Iran are, have all begun. It's, it's against the oppressive regime, but it's because of women not being allowed to, you know, um, walking out without with, without their head uh, covered, and she's got tears in her eyes, and that was me. I was I was gone, you know, and I realised yeah. then how horrible I felt having the sport that I love used in just such a, a horrible way since it, it was awarded to Qatar in in, in two thousand and ten, uh, and that just made you think, guys, can't take a booking, 
yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I think, I think that in some ways that the football players kind of need to realise the power they hold and the kind of influence they hold, and if they take a stand on this, that does have a real impact in terms of the the platform that they have. Um, so you know, for wearing an armband, you know that that could have had a real impact, and the fact that they weren't willing to do that, if it meant taking a booking, then fine. Um, you know, I think I heard somebody else say, you know, Manuel Neuer's the captain of Germany. He could have easily taken a booking being a goalkeeper. It's not like yeah. you'd have to worry about getting a second booking. Um, so I think it was a real disappointment that they chose not to just, you know, take the booking and they they chose taking a given to FIFA and. You know, we know where where these kind of policies are coming from. In the end, it's all coming from from the host guitar. Um, and to give in to them, I think it was a real disappointment. I know, and there was a, there was a lady, uh, a Welsh international um, from the 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 um, Wales women's team. Um, she was wasn't allowed to wear a, a rainbow hat. You know, the, the Welsh fans were wearing the bucket hats, and she had one that was a rainbow. Mm-hmm. And the thing for me is, how are these Qatari officials, or the, the police, or whatever the stewards, how are they able to tell? Because like, if you look at the Ghana fans or the in the Senegal fans that come out, they're so colourful. The, yeah. the, the outfits they're wearing, you know, it just seems to be one massive rainbow. You know, they must. It, it, it speaks to me that it says to me that they've actually been told to look out for this kind of stuff. Yeah. And 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 you think I don't mind the fact that it's going to um, an Islamic nation. I don't get the the the, um, the big kind of kerfuffle because you know drink wasn't allowed at certain venues or, or alcohol so expensive. You go to a country where alcohol's um, you know, a bad thing, and I think you should. Yeah. There are local customs that you, you, you should definitely respect. You should, you, you should. Uh, that should be part of the experience as well. Yeah. But when they actually seem to be targeting any kind of outward showing of you know uh, support for the LGBTQ plus community, I, I think it's it's really sinister. But I'm also thinking, Brian, that I um, just people. So, so people don't know. We're just trying to kind of we're just trying to kind of clear our conscience so we can talk about football. Uh, it's actually a lot of the other way about with me as well because I, I used to be an Amnesty International and I kind of I would go down to protests and all that and outside Downing Street about um, a thing that really concerned me a few years ago was there was an ongoing kind of genocide in, in Darfur, a place in the, the Sudan. And then today, um, I didn't realise the Qatari goalkeeper. I'm wanting Qatar to get to be the worst host of all time and get put out of the tournament straight away. You know, I was happy about that. Um, but you're forgetting that a national team isn't necessarily a, a national government, yeah. and they're the you know, and, and the, the case of Iran really does uh, illustrate that better than anything else. But the goalkeeper um, for Qatar, he's of Sudanese extraction. His parents are from Sudan. His brother's an Olympic uh, gold-winning athlete uh, as well. He's really famous uh, in Qatar. He's also from Sudan. And it's from the, the Darfur region, apparently, I was hearing. They're actually escaping this genocide you know, that I was campaigning for you know, kind of a decade or so ago. Um, so they've actually been done a favour by Qatar, you know, and I, I, that's Qatar helping them in a human rights abuse issue. So, am I? Is there a bit of hypocrisy on the part of fans who are saying, you know, it shouldn't be in Qatar? You know, it's like something they, they kind of handle the fact that the, the kind of human rights issue. Actually, having to watch football in stadiums where it's bringing home to you just the general state of life in general for a lot of people in in that part of the world. I mean, I think it's definitely shining a light on it. Um, and it's making more people aware of the human rights abuses in Qatar. Um, I think in terms of the hypocrisy, I know, I think this is something that Gianni Infantino, you know, tried taking a latch onto in his speech before the tournament, you know, when he was talking about, you know, um, the things that Britain have done in the last 3,000 years, or the things that Western nations have done in the last 3,000 years, we should be apologising for them and not 
kind of you know talking Aye. about the human rights abuse in Qatar, and that's you know that's one thing to say that, but you know I think right, fair enough, you always need to look inwards, but that doesn't mean that you can also criticise when you see human rights abuse happening in, in other parts of the world, you know. So I think it's it's a difficult one. There's no I guess there's no kind of clean answer to it, um, but I think they're well within our rights to shine a light on the human rights abuses happening in Qatar, whilst also saying that, you know, we ourselves are not perfect and the things that um, Western nations have done in the past are not perfect, but I think we're also, you know, quite right to shine a spotlight on the, the atrocities that happened in Qatar um, to put this World Cup on. It's a, it's a thing that came to me the other day, um, last week I went down to get my my world soccer, it's like the Radio Times of the you know, Radio Times at Christmas and you know, every World Cup you get a World Soccer edition where it's got all the all the teams and I'm just thinking this time I went down to the, the Morrisons and uh, Partick, uh, just at Partick Station and uh, the Radio Times for Christmas is next to the, the World Soccer, you know, for, the, for this tournament and I'm just thinking two yards up the road is the West of Scotland cricket ground where the first ever international match was played um, 150 years ago, I think it's next Wednesday. Um, Scotland against England way back in uh, 1872 and I feel as if at that time it was still like another 110 years before the homosexuality was legal in Scotland it was only 1981 that it became legal in Scotland and to be honest I still going to football just now despite all the great work that's been done there's a lot there's a hell of a lot of misogyny a hell of a lot of homophobia in the songs and the actions uh, of fans at, uh, especially at the men's games uh, I go to see I feel as if if we can somehow kind of bring you know a bit of reality, a bit of realism to it, we might actually end up helping you know the situation in in Qatar. But I'm just worried that the way the the way the world's going just now um, uh, could end up. It's just it's, it's not even going. To, there's there's not going to be any kind of uh, improvement in society in Qatar. And if anything, because the UK government, who also James Cleverly, the foreign uh, minister, he kind of basically advised against wearing the One Love armband. And uh, he was at the England game against Iran the other day, kind of glad-handing uh, all the locals. There's natural gas and oil coming from Qatar. That's how they're making their money. It's also a strategic... Um, you know, they've got an airbase there that NATO use. And that's the thing. I, I, I think of the, the, the Darfur genocide in which, like, 300,000 people were killed, and it was a niche item. It hardly ever get mentioned in the news. There's wee, wee items in Newsnight about it. Uh, at least, I think the eyes of the world have been brought onto Qatar. But this was this thing was never noticed. The only reason this World Cup I think is going ahead is because the the, the Qataris have got money. The only reason it's going ahead there. Um, but when Saturday comes, our kind of moral uh, guides uh, they, they've they've issued their, their traditional World Cup wall chart and their traditional World Cup um, supplement, and they're using that you know to highlight the issues there and they're asking about the issues that's a big part of it and the guardian of course the the super liberal lefty guardian um newspaper which i love uh, they've they did a kind of tagline saying they're going to report on uh, the game and the shame so i think that's what we'll do um brian we've done we've done the shame and it's uh, it's time we started uh looking at the game and uh just what has been your kind of there's been a lot of, a, a lot of kind of issues going on with the, the tournament so far there's every every world cup tournament's got wee things that are kind of singular to it you know and this one is the number of people in the crowd with those those little world cup uh, replicas yeah. they look pretty convinced now i was actually yeah. kind of hoping if, if i don't if i do know MD it's a guitar bring me one of them back they look they look pretty good and you get the, the injury times uh going off the scale um but most of all the, the football uh, has been kind of basic. I think the standard of football has been, has, has been pretty basic. There have been four nil nils, a, a couple of teams failing to register shots on target, 
um, for the first time ever in the history of the World Cup. Um, what do you think? Why do you think that the football itself has been so poor in the first round of games? I think some of the games have been quite flat. I think one of the biggest reasons for that, I think, is you always find the first round of games, everyone's a bit cagey because nobody wants to lose their first game. That's, you know, losing your first game when you've only got two more to play, that, you know, depending on how the fixtures fall for you, that potentially puts you out already, um, uh, depending on who you've got in your group. So I think that's got a big a big part to play on it. I think another thing might be the, the conditions over there in terms of the heat. I don't know what it's like on the ground in terms of in the stadiums and when you're actually playing I know these I think these stadiums are supposed to be, you know, super fancy air conditioned so players wouldn't feel it, but I don't know how that's actually panned out. So that might have a part to play. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just um the the kind of nervousness and not not wanting to lose your first game. The other thing being is these teams haven't had the usual two or three warm up games that they have before a, a World Cup because it's, you know, in the winter they've come straight off a most of them have come straight off the league season, but they've not had that time to gel together as a team. They usually have the two or three bounce games. Um, so that might have a part to play as well. Um, but hopefully as we get into the kind of second round of games, you start to see more teams kind of relaxing and let players off the leash and just play their football. And hopefully we start to see some more exciting games. Absolutely. And I think that the main entertainment... Um... I mean, I'm saying the football is pretty basic in the first round. There's one massive exception to the rule, I think, was Spain, uh, who just was super intricate. They ended up winning 7 nothing. So they look like they're, they're maybe going to be overplaying it, but they, were, uh, they beat Costa Rica 7-0. And uh, I think I could have got a game for, for Costa Rica that night. Um, I think the entertainment, the main kind of entertainment so far, apart from uh, Graham Soonis' great fallout with Roy Keane um, at halftime in the Argentina Saudi Arabia game, has been the shocks. Uh, there's been a couple of real, real big shocks. You know, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, uh, Japan beating Germany. Maybe not such a massive shock, but still um, kind of up there. And I think generally that the Arab teams uh, have performed really well. You know, like the ones from the Asian Confederation, the ones from North Africa, from from CAF. Uh, do you think they're enjoying being in, if you like, their part of the world? I think so. Yeah, I think they'll be possibly more used to the conditions, so that might kind of play in their favour. I think possibly as well they kind of got a bit of the underdog tag but they're maybe not expected to to um, pull off these upsets so that might play into their favour but um, they're certainly bringing a few surprises which is making for a, an interesting tournament. I am um, uh, quite, quite uh, conscious of the fact that you know talking about Arab teams playing in a, playing in a desert you know, could come across as a bit you know, a, a kind of stereotyping the, the very kind of stereotyping I've been trying to avoid uh, criticising FIFA for at the beginning of the programme but I think there's something to be said for the fact that these teams are actually you know they're usually having to go to Europe or South America, whatever. It's the likes of Qatar, even Qatar themselves, although they're already out. Um, but Tunisia, a great draw with Denmark, you know, um, Saudi Arabia, obviously the biggest one in their history. They're playing in stadiums in an area that they're used to, you know, particularly the Asian Confederation teams that they're playing. They're, they'll be playing there in the, the, the Asian Confederation Cup, you know, in the Asian Champions League, and we'll have a lot of these players. Uh, so I think every World Cup is throws up with individual changes, weaken individual yeah. um, trends and I think that's one that's been really good because the Saudi Arabia game when uh, when they beat Argentina in the stadium, watching it on television, it seemed to be mostly Argentina fans in the, but it must yeah. all have been the bottom tier because it was when Saudi Arabia scored. I thought everybody was there to watch Messi. I thought it'd just be a bunch of yeah. tourists there to watch Messi yeah. if they weren't actually Argentina fans but the place went crazy yeah. to the point where it spurred them on to score another goal and I'd noticed that as a trend throughout the other games involving the kind of Arab teams um, and it's been it's, it's, it's really been it's, it's been a massive thing to watch but do you think any of these kind of surprise packages um, are going to go on 
and win the tournament? Or do anything really special? Or is it just going to be the usual where the last of the kind of surprise packages falls away to semi-finals and we've got the we've got the same old, same old when it gets to the final? I think it will be your kind of usual um, the usual ones that you would expect to get to the semi-finals and the finals. I think if you're looking for a dark horse, and I don't know whether you would consider them a dark horse or not, for me, um, before I watched tonight, um, tonight's game, certainly anyway, the dark horse I was thinking was the Netherlands. Um, they've got the kind of extra motivation. I think Van Hulk said this is definitely going to be his last uh, tournament. He's obviously got health issues. It's well documented. Um, so I think they've got that kind of extra driver to kind of... Um, it's a bit of a send-off for him to give him um, to win the World Cup. And I, I wonder if that might just spur them on a bit um, to do something a bit special. Aye. Um, I would like... To, I'm kind of strange. I don't actually want to see a new name on the trophy. I like a kind of average of a new name maybe every 20 years <laughs> to keep it kind of... And that's basically the way it's been happening uh, throughout my life, you know. Uh, Argentina won it for the first time in, in, in 78 and then you'd... I think you've only France and Spain adding themselves to the roster and the... <laughs> years I've been watching, I've been watching it, you know, but it keeps it, there's only been eight winners of a tournament that's been, you know, it's when I went to the 22nd World Cup and it keeps it, I think you want to keep it kind of special. I like to see teams earn their, I like, I like to be quite exclusive, I like to see teams earn, earn their right almost, you know, kind of do the, do their kind of apprenticeship by maybe winning a Euros or a Copa America or two or maybe losing the final. France lost a couple of, yeah. or three semis I think before they actually won the thing in 98. So, I, but I, I feel as if Belgium are too old you know, they they look kind of yeah. poor, really poor yeah. the other night. They struggled against Canada. Uh, I felt sorry for Canada. Um, the Dutch, yeah, I, you know, I would, I would think I would like they've more than earned. They've more than earned the right. If it was going to be a new name on it, I would really, I would really love it to be them. Um, but I'm, I'm probably the same as yourself. I'm not convinced that they've got the full. They're, they're just they're just ready to go that that kind of extra step. I would have thought Brazil. And then it looked like Neymar was going to get is maybe injured, but I don't know if that actually helped Brazil because he's. He's coming down that tunnel last night, you know, kind of last man down there. He's still doing up his laces when the yeah. game kicks off. He looks like he's become all ego as opposed to, you know, uh, kind of really wanting this the way that the likes of what Maradona did back in my day, you know, uh, rising to the occasion of the World Cup. He looks to be kind of hiding from it. So I'm thinking Brazil or France, really. Um, what about yourself? Have you got, you've got to put a name on it. Who do you, you think is going to come through? I'm probably like yourself. I'm thinking I would maybe throw Spain in there a bit, but I yeah. think. It's difficult to judge that first game because Costa Rica didn't exactly put up a huge amount of a challenge, so it's difficult to judge them on that first game, but they do have um, some great individual players, so it'll be interesting to see in their second game um, how they go on. Um, but I think, like yourself, um, Brazil or France, I was really impressed with France. This tournament, there seems to be a bit of a dearth of like proper old-fashioned strikers. Germany don't yeah. play with a striker, a traditional number nine Um and Spain don't play with a traditional number nine. Argentina, you could argue, don't really play with a traditional number nine. Brazil had Richarlison up front last night, who's not really a traditional um, number nine. So I think um, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind backing Giroud for um, for Golden Boot winner. To be honest, yes. I, was, I was impressed with with him um, the other night. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, I wouldn't mind backing him for Golden Boot winner. And I can see I can see France nicking it to be honest. I think with Brazil, if Neymar is injured, it might help them, but I just hope they don't treat it the way they did in twenty fourteen when he got um injured and they came out wearing the uh, wearing Neymar on the top as if as if he died. Um, well, that that's the kind of thing that hope having it in Qatar with the stories going around about what's happened in Qatar it would maybe kinda of put that kind of stuff in perspective. It was sickening, wasn't it? It was absolutely it really sickening. I've never been so glad to see a team get beat seven one in my entire life. Yeah, and it was so that's probably one of my favourite 
um, World Cup games that I've watched is that um, that demolition, um, because the way they treated that when when he got injured as if he as if he died, I just yeah, that was that was ridiculous stuff. It's, it's, it's a strange it's a strange thing with Brazil, and I, and I was uh, listening to uh, When Saturday Comes uh, podcast a few weeks ago, and Andy Lyons, who's the editor uh, of When Saturday Comes, he was he actually said the same thing um, that I've felt. I grew up that, that nineteen eighty two team was like something. It's a whole thing of when you know being an old man like myself. You didn't get to see a lot of foreign football in the days, and there wasn't the same kind of globalization of the game. There wasn't the same amount of foreign players in the the domestic scenes all over the world. So when Brazil arrived in that World Cup, it was like something off Mars. You know, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. It was like a spaceship had landed. They were just sexy. That, that, that's a great irony, I think, about the the um, the debate about the One Love armbands and the, the whole kind of fear that uh, Qatar has about homosexuality. If there's one thing that's going to make seemingly heterosexual men fancy other men, it is watching them playing brilliantly at the World Cup. And that, that Brazil team is one of the sexiest things I've ever seen in my life in, in, in 1982. Um, they were phenomenal to watch. I think everybody fell in love with them, but it was absolutely gutted when they get put out. And then just slowly got to see them win the World Cup for the first time in 94. I hadn't seen Brazil win the World Cup. Uh, I, I was one when they won it in 70. Um, and that was a great thing. And then by 2002, I was kind of sick of them. I was finding they're a bit pretentious. They're kind of, you know, kind of making big, kind of, as you say, big, big emotional gestures all the time, you know, a bit of a soap opera. And then now I just, I, I happily see them get stuffed every time, you know. I'm just, uh, don't want to see them win the World Cup ever again, but, they're, you know, there's, there's no denying uh, how great they are. But I think, I quite fancy France. Just they're, they're on the way of it now. They're a team that's just used to getting to... Well, they've won two World Cups, but the thing for me is they just got to another final in 2006 in Germany without anybody noticing. When I was growing up, France were... They could never make the final. They were always just... They were, it's like they were too... They were too much of a flair team. You know, they didn't have that kind of bit of focus that the Germans had. And just suddenly, um, the last 20 years or so, since they won it in 98, it's like... They just seem to get the finals all the time. They've won a Euros and then lost a final of Euros as well. They're real. They've got that mentality now as much as the the skill. They've lost a few key players, but no, uh, I fancy them as well. One final thing, um, Brian. No, keep you um, as this as this World Cup goes on. We've got the England game to watch tonight. Cody Gakbo, um, he's he scored a second goal today uh, for the Netherlands after his two games, and then Ener Valencia goes on. He scores his third goal of the tournament. One of the kind of side issues of every World Cup that I love is the is the golden boot. You know, who's going to finish top scorer? And it doesn't always have anything to do with the winner, you know, who actually wins the tournament. Yeah. Is it something that bothers you, that excites you, and, and who, who do you fancy for it? It is actually, I quite like to, um, to kind of keep my eye on who's going to be golden boot, and you're right, it, it very often doesn't come from, from the winner. Um, but I'm I'm going to back Giroud. I'm, I'm going to back Giroud for the golden boot winner. I think he's um, he's got it in him to, to still, you know, put a couple of goals away, and, and I think he'll, he'll fly our friends to the... The trophy, to be honest, um, I think they look they look a real sharp outfit, um, and we haven't kind of spearheading the attack. I think, I think that's just that, that's almost what I was kind of meaning. Um, it wasn't what I was meaning. I'm going to steal your point anyway. Um, the, the, even though they've missed, like Benzema's injured. Well, he wasn't there in 2018 when they won it anyway. You know, I know Pogba scored in the final, but I don't think I, I do actually believe the hype about the, the, the game soon as criticism. It doesn't work hard enough. Um, and Canty's a massive miss for them, but. I think they've got more than enough quality to cover for that. And Giroud, who played every game of 2018 and didn't have a single shot on goal because he was acting as this kind of basketball backboard where he was just getting up and nodding it down. He was a target man almost. And for Mbappe and what have you to, to get their goals. I thought it was really sweet the other night when he comes out and just scores two goals straight away yeah. and the second one equals Thierry Henry's record. So he's now the kind of joint top scorer for France. I think it's a, I think it's a really good shout. Uh, 
Brian, and I think um, I'm going to go and maybe take the odds down by putting a few a few pound in that one as well. Listen, mate, thank you very much uh, for for doing this with me tonight. Um, as I say, folks, if you like this, we'll maybe try and have another one out there um, in, a, in a few days' time, maybe rounding up the, the, the second round of games. Um, the show itself, uh, we're going to be back on Sunday night. You might not be seeing this until Sunday night anyway, but uh, Sunday at 9.30, um, a good half hour after the Spain-Germany game, so you, you won't miss that. Colin's going to be back uh, hosting a pod with Stuart Weir and Professor Brian Howison to discuss uh, Professor uh, Howison's book on the uh, 2012 financial collapse of, of Rangers, how we got into that situation and, and how we got back out of it. So uh, unlike uh, the, the story for uh, Qatar, that's a, that's a, a story with a, with a happy ending. Brian, thanks very much for joining me, mate. Um, been really great having you. Do you enjoy it? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I'll happily do this in a couple of days' time again, yeah. I hope so. We got there in the end anyway, mate. Um, listen, guys, I've been Alec Anderson. Thanks very much for joining us and uh, talk to you again soon. Cheers.